Well, let's ask the Lord to open our hearts and our minds to His truth, to His beauty, to His love. Jesus, ever-present in the Eucharist, help us to recognize You. Open our hearts and our minds to receive Your truth. Open our being to You. We ask this through Christ our Lord. So it's true, uh, in around May I got a call, and I, I was asked to go to Washington to work with the Eucharistic Revival, and then they asked me to work with the Clergy Consecrated Life and Vocation Secretariat. And some people think it's a promotion, but I'm more concerned that it's a sign that I can't hold a job. <laughs> and the only reason why I said yes is because the mystery of priesthood and the Eucharist are so intertwined. There you are. Two sides of the same mystery as a servant of God, um, Martinez said in the 1950s in Mexico. So the theme, my flesh for the life of the world, there was a whole debate as to how to choose the theme and is this too much, is it too little? Um, to give you the genesis of it, and there's, I mean, this is a presentation that I can give for days, but don't worry, we won't be here for days. We're gonna let you go before Christmas. You'll also ha be able to receive this, um, you know, I was able to share it. So these are beautiful testimonies from priests, because when we gathered the U National Eucharistic Preachers in Chicago, we asked them, you know, 60, 60 seconds. Of course, they went for five minutes. You know, when you talk to priests, you say to them, can you make this brief? And they're like, oh, let me tell you about it. So we were able to trim it down. And these are testimonies of when each one of them recognize that Jesus was truly, is truly present in the Eucharist. And so as we go through this talk, it's easy to kind of get lost in statistics. It's easy to kind of look at what's going on in the world, maybe even feel a little downcast. But also take the other side, your perspective. So somewhere along the line, you received a call or somebody brought it to your attention. The Diocese of St. Petersburg has a position available and you felt a call. But that was not the beginning. The beginning was probably, maybe it was when grandma took you to church and she lit a candle. Or when somebody handed you a dollar and said, put it in the basket. Was it perhaps as you were on the, in the car line and mom or dad were driving and they said, Jesus lives here, this is his house. So I would invite you to take moments to go back in your own memory of how the Lord has revealed himself to you. Because that is essential for a revival. A revival seeks to set ablaze that which has already occurred, that maybe has become latent, that maybe there's been an atrophy. And so each one of us knows those various moments. And so often, it's like a state secret, right? We don't talk about them, we're Catholic. And so, before we could ever speak of them, we have to treasure them. Experience them again. Was it your first communion when somebody said, that is the body of Christ? Was it later on in life, perhaps as you were about to get married and you were discerning, should I become Catholic, should I not? All of those various steps in your journey, 
They're sacred. They are, in a sense, the fonts where our Lord meets you, where he has met you and desires to continue to meet you so that you could be there for the people that you serve when somebody calls from a parish, when somebody calls from the various situations that you deal with. Um, even when people run into you at the supermarket and you're trying to minister to them and be there with them. And so the genesis of the revival is a Pew study. I'll synthesize a lot of the slides. 2019, if you could remember that far, it was before this thing called coronavirus. You may have heard about it. There was a survey, Pew study, do you believe that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist? A little bit over 30% of Catholics came back and said yes. And so back in June of 2021, there was a whole debate at the General Assembly of the Conference of Bishops as to what does this survey mean? Means, um, is it because people didn't get the question correctly? Is it because the it was swayed, all of these different things. Because this, at the time, the chairman for the Committee on Evangelization and Catechesis was Bishop Barron. And this really affected his heart. As you know, he is the founder of Word on Fire. And so he brought it back to the bishops and said, what could we do to help, not so much the atheist, not so much the person who stopped coming to church years ago, but let's focus on the low-lying fruit right now. What can we do so that the people who are coming to church, daily mass communicants at times, come to experience this, to go deeper into it? And so since then, there's been three other surveys, one from Leo Burnett. You may have filled it out. Um, nobody knew that it was the Catholic Church asking the question, but there were 5,000 5, respondents. And it was categorized so that, you know, depending on the level of engagement, even just to determine, is this person Catholic or is it the person believes they're Catholic but they never go to church? So there the threshold was, if the person goes to church at Christmas and Easter, you know, kept it very simple. Other people, it would be um, Ash Wednesday and Palm Sunday as well. Those are some of the ones that attract. Um, weddings and funerals always draw people. And so with that one, led to about the same numbers. There's another one coming up and there's going to be a webinar for bishops first and then eventually shared with the people to see if are people struggling to express it or do they believe it and then kind of shy away from saying it. Um, so to go deeper, a little bit deeper into the question Is Jesus truly present, body and soul, soul and divinity? Many of us would say yes. But if somebody were to say, it's a symbol, the Eucharist is a symbol, does that necessarily negate it? Or is it maybe that the person believes that because we have a cross in church, we have the Paschal candle, all symbols, great symbols. But how do we take that person and go deeper so that they encounter the living God. And the best place to start is, as St. Paul said, through our witness. People do not listen to teachers, and if they, they listen to witnesses, 
and, the, and if they listen to witnesses, it's because if they listen to teachers, it is because they are witnesses first. And so as we begin this presentation, I'm going to ask you to take maybe about a minute. When did you realize that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist? Maybe you're still struggling with him. That's, that's part of the journey. This is John chapter 6, in, you know, coming to fruition, coming alive again in our hearts. Jesus, are you really there? Why have you chosen to reside there? All of these beautiful questions. And wherever your journey is, whether you're Catholic or not, I realize some of us maybe of different faith backgrounds. Um, I would invite you to, whoever you want to sit with, and share a little bit of your journey. I'll keep an eye on the clock, maybe 10 minutes. This is super important, and the reason for it is because, similar to reading Scripture and many other things that we Catholics could improve on, we know how to follow the rules. We know how to say to people, let's get to church. We know what parking spot we want to park on so that we can get out of church quickly after getting that donut. But it's, it's difficult to share our faith at times. It's a place of vulnerability. It's a place where we at times say, well, this, this is true for me, but I'm afraid to share it. And one of the things that amazes me as I go around the country is sometimes people believe it has to be this grandiose experience. Like, you know, I walked into my chapel and the Holy Father was there and he was holding a monstrance. <laughs> but you'll see from the videos that Father David, he's a beautiful testimony, he tells a story about his dad, you know, tapping him on the shoulder during Mass. He doesn't say what he was doing before. Um, and just pointing to the elevation and said to him, that is Jesus. And then as, as his dad focused on the elevation, he realized, this is Jesus. And so by example, his dad was able to teach him. So we could always have some sh more sharing later. It's always a unique thing. But if, as we go through the morning, if you feel inspired, feel free to just raise your hand. Or, um, it's an absolute. What I find is that it builds community as we go around and sh share things like this. It's similar to when people share how they feel, you know, after they, you know, the love of their life walked into their, their life or um, after 50 years, you know, somebody describes their spouse. When they share that, the community deepens because communion is not only when I receive the Lord physically, it's also when I encounter him and each other and when my heart is not only vulnerable but brings others into that experience so and we could this is a a great moment of grace because i'm sure that i imagine that you're getting to know each other in a new way you know, that's what the beautiful thing about these mornings of reflection. Sometimes uh, I've worked in chanceries, pastoral centers, and now I work at, in, you know, the, the national office, as some people say. And um, a lot of times we could, we, you know, we could get focused on our own side. 
and simply to cross the hallway. What is it that you're working on, you know? Or even to say, how is your family? Those are moments that can bridge. And all of a sudden we understand why maybe somebody has not been able to get to our email. All of a sudden we understand, you know, a little bit better dynamic of um, how to communicate with the person. It's funny because we priests live with each other and it's been, um, had great dynamics. And sometimes I, you know, I've lived with priests who are absolute night owls and I'm a morning person. And so we try to meet each other like at lunchtime, you know. And so all of those things help us in communion. So the revival is a three-year initiative. We are in the first year. It is the diocesan year. And the goal is to get as many of the preachers out to the dioceses, people to have develop websites, to begin to develop the resources that will go out into the parishes, that will go out into the schools. And schools, parishes, faith formation of any child that goes to public school and comes to the parish, those are great opportunities to teach this. In the surveys, one of the questions that was asked is, are you willing to help? Are you willing to help? And so we have the people who, for lack of a better word, are called symbolists because they not only believe that the Eucharist is a symbol, but they believe that this is what the church teaches and they are willing to help. And we also have the people who believe that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist. They know that it's the teaching of the church and they are also willing to help. And so if you take anything from this talk, take that people at the parishes, the people who are going to daily mass, maybe it's the person who comes and parks their car in the parking lot right before they go and you know, lead a surgical team to say their prayers asking God to guide them. They want to share this great news. And so one of the key things with this is we just, want, we just want to make sure that the people we enlist to be what I'll describe later as Eucharistic missionaries are teaching the right thing. Um, it's happened before. Maybe I'm sure it's never happened in this diocese that maybe a catechist says something, you know, that could be, could be improved to say the least. And um, it, ha it happens with us priests too as well. Sometimes we speak off the cuff and not, you know, not say things correctly. But with this, we want to invite people to go deeper. I remember in my first parish, you know, I was asked to give the training for um, extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion. And um, so I, you know, went with Ch John chapter 6, Speaking on the Eucharist has been my passion. I mean, even on my, when I was ordained the priest, um, I chose that passage from St. John chapter 6 uh, as the card in the prayer card. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. So if you've never taken John chapter 6, it's a beautiful passage. The church just spent four or five weekends on it in August because it's, it has such great depth. And at that point, Jesus is watching the disciples go away because the disciples don't believe that he's really going to feed them with his body and his blood. And instead of saying, hey guys, I didn't mean it, come back, let's talk about this, he turns to the apostles 
and says, are you going to leave me as well? And St. Peter doesn't say, oh yeah, in our, you know, 1500 years, St. Thomas Aquinas is going to give us a transubstantiation, we, we understand. He doesn't say, oh, we're going to have Eucharistic miracles later on. Those are really going to, you know, put us over the, the faith gap. He simply says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. And so that is an incredible teaching because so often when we're before mystery, yes, we should seek to understand it. Yes, we should kneel and pray. We should study everything we can about it. But somewhere along the line, there is that point of surrender. And here is St. Peter who has journeyed with Jesus, who has watched the multiplication of the loaves, who has seen him in all sorts of beautiful ways, including the human ones, the ones that we at times wouldn't pay attention to, such as just walking with him and loving him. What does he do? He surrenders. And so as we seek to explain this mystery, it is good for us to do our best but at the same time, to know that it is God who is the one who gives the gift of faith, who is the one who reveals himself at times. No one comes to the Father unless they go through me. No one comes to me unless the Father beckons. There is a mystery here of faith, even with this mystery of the Eucharist, that if I believe it, it should not lead me to have a Eucharistic superiority. On the contrary, it should lead me to have Eucharistic humility. The one who became so humble that he not only became a slave and died on a cross, he comes to this Eucharist to become the bridegroom, and we, the Church, are the bride. There's a nuptial meaning here that is happening in that first reading we heard this morning. And so, we're approaching Christmas, Advent, the one who is to come. A great time for us to reflect on this mystery. Our Lady, when she said, be it done unto me, she was allowing her body to become the place of the incarnation on March 25th. We're about to celebrate his birth, the nativity. And we know how to celebrate a birth. We know how to have a, a birthday cake. I remember during the lockdown, speaking to some of the teachers at the school, because you know, we would have the monthly birthday cake and whatnot. And they're like, what are we gonna do with the birthday cakes? And you know, the normal thing that we all have learned, now it's cupcakes because, you know, nobody wanted to um, blow out the candles. You didn't want it to become a super spreader. We know how to celebrate birthdays, and we mourn when we don't. We're learning how to celebrate the resurrection. We, you know, we, we don't know how to handle that as, a little, as much as well. We struggle with it. Um, think of the apostles. Um, or even this coming week. Think of somebody coming to your house, taking a person whom you love and revere, not only in love, but a source of wisdom. They're taking a mock trial overnight, 
put on the electric chair by noon on the 24th and then people say to you, Merry Christmas. And then you go home and you're home on Christmas Day and on the 26th you come back from wherever you went, probably to continue to mourn by the tomb. And there is the person that died in, in the fridge, opening the fridge, asking, do you have any mustard? That's what the apostles were going through at Easter. It's easy for us to put them down and say, why didn't they get it? I get it. We would have run out the window <laughs> if a dead person showed up in our living room saying, here, touch my wounds. But what we, at times, because it is so consistent, so normal, so ordinary, that Jesus not only chose to die for me, to become incarnate, die for me, resurrect, but he chose to stay with me in the Eucharist. He loves you so much that he bought real estate in your neighborhood. Would you allow him to have a little bit more real estate in your house? With this whole discussion, one of the things that has naturally affected has been obviously the lockdown, pandemic, do people feel safe coming back to church, all of those various things. As a pastor at Holy Redeemer in Kissimmee, I was watching this. And so, you know, I would see the people who would come and just pray the rosary or walk around the church when there was nobody there, etc. And so I ran into this couple, they're in their 80s, daily mass communicants up until the lockdown. And, um, you know, I'm inviting them to come back. You don't have to come back to a Sunday mass, uh, try a daily mass, church seats 1,500 people. At a daily mass, we were having between 30 to 60, so I mean, way a lot of space. Um, and you know, I'm watching this for weeks. They're still coming to say their private prayers, etc., but they're not coming to mass, and they're not receiving communion. And so one day, I just engaged them, and they're telling me that it's too dangerous, they don't feel safe, etc. And afterwards, we talk about something else, and then I ask them, so what are you going to do next? And they're like, we're going to eat out. We're tired of being home. And so people are struggling, and are, are, we are invited to journey with them and invite them to invite them back. I also know that we've given great care in our churches to many different parts of it. We are, certainly have a, you know, the ushers, the welcoming committee. I know a pastor in my diocese who says, I know that my number one job in my as a pastor is to protect people from the hospitality ministry. <laughs> Would we ever perhaps have an usher to say, is this your first time here? Let me show you where Jesus lives. And I say this because I was sitting at the National Shrine and you know we have people, we do a great job of Catholics of protecting the collection. It's great, we should definitely do it. We do a great job of having great artwork. But I was watching the whole beautiful national basilica, and I'm sitting in the crypt one Saturday morning, and people are walking through it, you know, admiring the mosaics, admiring the marble that has come from all over the world, looking at the, all of the beauty that is there, 
the icons, the altars, etc. But I was watching as they were passing the tabernacle. It was almost like, you know, that's nice. What's next? What can I put on my Instagram account? And so I was giving a tour to a family that came from Florida in, to D.C. And they had some two little ones, two girls. And so I said to them, and now we're going to see them one of the most important places. We're gonna see where Jesus lives when he's not at the altar. And so I show them the tabernacle there, and it's similar to here, it's you know about the right size. And one of the little girls looks at it and says, how does he get in there? <laughs> and what we, we begin to speak to people, and gradually they begin to taste anew this truth, this beauty, this wonderful gift. We were able to bring relics. Um, one of them is of Blessed Carlo Acuti, who is taking the world by storm. And the other one is of Saint Manuel Gonzalez Garcia. And I imagine very few people here have heard of him. Saint Manuel Gonzalez Garcia was a priest and he was on his horse, donkey, etc., riding to where he was going to give a mission. And he was imagining, I, you know, oh, when I get there, we're going to preach, and it's, you know, people are going to come back to the faith. We're going to celebrate weddings of anybody who needs to be married in the church. We're going to have first communions. Maybe this has happened in your office. When I, you know, when I send out this email, Everybody's going to like pay attention to it. And then you see the response. And so when he gets to halfway to the town, the sacristan meets him. And the sacristan begins to bring perhaps a dose of reality to him. He says, no, people don't come to church here, Father. Because if Father says one thing, people believe that he's for one political party. And if Father says a different thing, people believe that he's for the other political party. This is in the 1800s in Spain. And so when he gets to the church, he goes to the tabernacle. There's nobody there. And the tabernacle is surrounded by cobwebs. By cobwebs. He is now known as the Bishop of the Abandoned Tabernacle. And so he sat there and he wrote that later on that he learned more of that abandoned tabernacle than he, than he did in his theology courses. Because he said in theology he was learning it up here. In that tabernacle he realized that it was Jesus who was abandoned. It's funny because everybody calls the the office and ask for the relic of Blessed Carlo Acutis because, you know, millennial, he's wearing jeans, he's got Nikes, he had a beautiful website of Eucharistic miracles, all good things. But rarely, the, nobody has called to ask for the relic of Saint Manuel. And so our comment at the office, they go together, so don't worry, he has not been left, is that Saint Manuel Gonzalez Garcia is now the saint of the abandoned relic. Let me just move, go forward here a little bit. 
you have some other church documents. And so one of the things that St. Manuel writes, he, spe- he takes the gospel and it speaks from the Eucharist from to today, to his time in the 1800s. And he's speaking to Jesus in the Eucharist here. Holy Master, it is more than 20 centuries since you first opened your lips to ask this question. But during these centuries, not one day has passed that you have not repeated your question, who do you say that I am? Experience the question. He's not simply reading it. Jesus is asking each one of us the ways he asked St. Peter. Who do you say that I am? And it's one thing to say it with my words. It's another thing to say it with my actions. With my words, it's a great beginning to formulate it, to process, etc. We'll get to actions in a little bit. For priests who serve at my altar, for Christians who consume me in Holy Communion, and for those who come before my tabernacle, who am I? It is the monumental discrepancy between the responses of our lips and our actions. If you are the Sacred Heart, why don't we render our sinful hearts to you? If you are God with us in the Eucharist, why do we abandon the tabernacle and leave God with the cobwebs and mice? And this isn't simply the physical things, these are the spiritual as well. Where are the cobwebs in my spiritual life that I have become more accustomed to having them than having Jesus? Where are the mice that I have, in a sense, nurtured more than Jesus in my own life? And so for authentic renewal to happen, Each one of us is called to a deeper conversion. Each one of us is called to get closer to the Lord. Here in Florida, I think we feel it a little bit more. We we see it in nursing homes. When you walk in and somebody says, nobody has come to see me, Father. And we experience that. You know, it was my birthday or at Christmas, you know, they barely called. And we feel that. We feel it also, I mean, Florida is a state that draws people from all over the world, from people who come and now trying to set their, allow their roots to grow here. You know, where do they go on Christmas afternoon? They feel abandoned. And these are the ones that we could see. Um, Jesus is still human in his glory. Lord, you have every right never to stop asking this question. Who do you say that I am? The first time it was answered with a beautiful confession. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. But when asked a second time, it garnered a sad, unjust, and false answer. I do not know the man.
It is sad that both answers were given by the same lips and that he had such an echo. Our first Pope. Painful to admit, painful to say, but yet it also reminds us that there is a path for redemption. Certainly, my dear Jesus, you are right in not trusting in us. As happened in the Gospels of John, it continues to be amazingly true. Not even your disciples believed in you. My God, my God, what is it that, that in spite of 20 centuries of the, ta- of the tabernacle, you are still not known or believed? Everybody believes in the Incarnation. Everybody believes in the Nativity. Secular society loves to celebrate Christmas. In anticipation, certainly the Church knows how to do it in preparation and in full solemnity. But yet, our belief could grow. The Word became flesh and later on became our bread, our drink. So later on, St. Manuel asked that he would be buried near a tabernacle. The reason for it is because he wanted to be able to point with his bones towards the tabernacle. I asked to be buried next to a tabernacle so that my bones after death as my tongue and my pen in life are saying to those who pass by, there is Jesus, there it is, do not leave him abandoned. And so it might be a 15-minute visit. It might be taking the kids, you know, for a walk around the church and stopping in for three minutes. It might be even at home at night when you're about to say prayers. Where is the nearest tabernacle? Jesus, where, where, where can I find my, my north star, my beacon, my way, my eternal light? I'll stop here. Um, How does this affect you? Your pastoral leaders here in the diocese, you know, various roles, etc. What is it that you want to make a note for yourself? Is it to become more aware? So that when I go on and visit the sick at the hospital, that I'm more conscious that Jesus is with me. How would this affect your, the way you approach your ministry in the coming year? Diocesan year up until Corpus Christi and then parish year. What would it be to have a Eucharistic-centered office, ministry, outreach to the poor, to the immigrant? How would that be incarnate and fleshed? When you see the slideshow, you'll see that I have quotes from the Holy Fathers, from St. Paul VI, from St. John Paul II, from Pope Benedict. This is one from Pope Francis. This was this Angelus back in the summer when we were having the Eucharistic Discourse, John chapter 6, and this is the section on um, 
when the disciples are leaving Jesus and he turns to the apostles, are you going to leave me as well? And this has to do with Eucharistic scandal because you could have Eucharistic amazement, Eucharistic humility. We heard about Eucharistic fast during the lockdown, all of the various ways to approach the Eucharist. God decided to manifest himself and accomplish salvation in the weakness of human flesh. Think of what that means. Whenever you feel like, I can't do this, whenever you have a cold, whenever you're watching somebody die, all of these different moments, God made salvation dependent on all of those various temptations, struggles, those times when you're jet-lagged and maybe you're saying something that you would normally not say. He made salvation dependent on human flesh, not just Jesus's, yours and mine, so that we would go out there and share the news. God made himself flesh. We kneel to worship this mystery of incarnation. He humbled himself to the extent of burdening himself with our sufferings and sin. Certainly he didn't commit sin, but he carried them on his shoulders, carried them on to the cross. What sense can there be in the eyes of the world in kneeling before a piece of bread? Of bread? Why on earth should someone be nourished assiduously with this bread? The world is scandalized. Scandal is a stumbling block, something that prevents me from walking. I have to either make peace with it, accept it, going back to the Greek there. And so if the Eucharist is a scandal to you today, if maybe you're struggling with it, and I, we should all be scandalized, but allow your heart to wrestle with it. Allow your heart to don't run away from it. If he's becoming incarnate in the womb of a virgin, why couldn't he become incarnate in a host? And for any one of us who maybe hold this truth for some time, when was the last time we were scandalized that Jesus is becoming flesh for you and I because of our sins, because of our weaknesses? When was the last time that we offered, what can I carry for you, Jesus? How can I be there with you? Certainly at the Nativity, as Our Lady is giving birth, but also as you are there in my neighborhood, in my parish. Jesus, you've done so much for me. What can I carry? What can I offer to you today? And so today, as we go through the various challenges that come with Advent, whether it be walking through the, through the bridge when there's rain, or we all know what Advent traffic looks like, um, you know, the stores and the in-laws come. It's funny, I've been telling the people at the house that I'm, I was leaving, you know, because I'm going to go ahead and stay in Orlando and work remotely. And yesterday I ran in for like the seventh time into the kitchen, and they're like, you're still here? And I said to them, I'm like those Christmas guests that don't leave. <laughs> For everything that we will go through in the coming weeks, some of it great, some of it, you know, maybe that uncle that when you say we're going to Christmas Mass, 
He's like, yeah, let's go to Christmas Mass. And you know how much he's had to drink? All of those different moments that we could now offer some of those for Jesus. Jesus, I'm going to love my family members with a greater openness, with a greater vulnerability, even when I don't understand them. Because you do that with me all the time. And so we'll move into a little bit of Lexio, a little bit of adoration, and just remain with him. Allow him to, to love you. And if your heart is moved, then begin to offer to him any challenges that you have. Lord, I don't understand why, you know, my loved one is sick. But I now offer that to you in pain and sorrow, with great turmoil. But I know that you can bring good out of it. I don't see it right now, but I hope to see it in eternity. Amen.